Hello and welcome to another episode of the Investors Chronicle Extraction podcast in which we speak to executives of London's natural resources companies. I'm Alex Newman, a writer at the Investors Chronicle and today I'm joined by Paul Atherley, Chief Executive and MD of Berkeley Energia, owner and developer of the Salamanca Uranium Project in Western Spain which recently made the step up from AIM to London's main market. So Paul, thanks my pleasure, Alex. Nice for to be joining here. us today. Could you just please start? I'm assuming no uh, prior knowledge on on behalf of our listeners. Can I just start by asking you to give our, our listeners a quick overview of, of the Salamanca project, its economics, and where you currently are with the development? Uh, Barclay Energy owns the Salamanca mine in uh, Western Spain. We own it 100%. As you've indicated, it's the only uranium mine being built in the world today. In fact, uh, what we're trying to do is pour concrete at the bottom of the cycle. So here we are with uranium prices around $20 a pound. Most analysts are talking it's a $40, $50, $60 a pound. So we're doing that thing that most junior companies never do, is we're raising money. We're fully financed. We've just done $120 million financing with the Oman Sovereign Wealth Fund. We're just on the uh, point now of uh, literally pouring concrete and steelwork coming out of the ground. So we could be that very rare animal that pours the concrete, builds the assets at the right point in the cycle. Mm, excellent. And in terms of the development itself, when, when are we expecting first, uh, first uranium from the mine? The guidance we're giving is that um, we will commence construction in September. Mm. It's a 12-month build, first uranium towards the end of 2019, and then six months to full ramp up by the middle of 2020. Excellent. So we can, we can come on to talk a, a bit about the uranium market, I hope. Just first, I just wanted to touch on you know, the recent development being your step up to the main market. Why did you decide to do that? Two reasons. One is a different uh, group of shareholders on the main market. We've been extremely successful with generalists. Um, we, although we're an AIM-listed stock, we, uh, our register is full of blue-chip institutions. So clearly they are more populous on the main board. So, so it gave us that. And the second reason was we are passporting across to list on the Spanish Stock Exchange. And uh, we are expecting to list the 18th of July. And what's unique about that is, although Spain is arguably the origins of modern mining, Rio Tinto's uh, uh, fabulous mine there, and it's interesting that Rio Tinto's kept the name Rio Tinto, Mm. but Spain does not have a listed mining company. So we would be the only listed mining company in the country that that fathered, if you like, uh, modern mining as we know today. Excellent. I mean, you touched on this this point before that you're, you're fully funded. I suppose often mining companies on AIM are often in search of financing. You have that financing. And that's obviously good. The great news for a mining executive like yourself, because you can concentrate on, on the job of building now. It's an interesting arrangement you have with the, the Oman Sovereign Wealth Fund here in that you've got off-take agreements as part of this. You have a sort of convertible bond structure, which could give Oman, the, the, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, a stake above 30%. Can you just talk, talk us through you know, why you decided this was the best funding structure? And you know, can you allay any fears that you, you have somehow you know, potentially given a lot of the equity value away ahead of, ahead of time? We have two very strong drivers. One is we're very equity-driven. We're absolutely focused on making the value of the the asset uh, get unlocked into the equity. And secondly, we're very debt-averse. Junior mining companies often go get themselves in trouble by putting complicated structures in place with private equity funds, for instance. So this is the simplest structure imaginable that gives us the best equity leverage. We have... Uh, raised $120 million, of which $60 million we've drawn down in cash on a zero interest rate, zero coupon, um, with minimal security. And uh, over a four-year period, when we build the mine, that the Omanis are able to convert that into 
equity at 50 pence a share that will give them around 26% of the company. And then there's another 60 million tranche in three three options. They, at their election, are able to convert at an average of about 85 pence a share. It's the other 60 million that goes in and will take them up to um, over 30% of the company. So our view is this is like a major shareholder taking an equity placement in the company and becoming a shareholder alongside all other ordinary shareholders. They have no other rights other than to convert the, the note into the equity. You mentioned the offtake agreements. They're quite notional. What their issue was is that as the Middle East in general moves away from fossil fuels and looks for renewables and nuclear, um, the Omanis recognise that the ability to put their foot on some offtake would be desirable, but it's not a firm commitment. They just have the ability to match anything that we put in place. So we think that's more of a a desirable thing from their perspective, but it certainly doesn't lock us into anything with them at any certain prices. In fact, the way we look at the offtake is that we've got some very good offtake in place. You know, even though the uranium price is $20 a pound, we've got offtakes in at $42 a pound. We are looking the second half of next year, that's halfway through the build, to put some more offtakes in place, and we expect it to be higher than the $42 a pound. So our business is relatively simple. We're fully funded, as you indicated, equity funded. There's no debt. We are going to build an asset that will make very good money at the current uh, uranium price, but will make considerably more at the forward price. And if I can just share an example with Mm. you of a very successful junior mining company in London, known to many of your readers, would be Central Asia Metals. They also built a heat bleach operation. They also uh, generated very strong cash flow, paid it all back to shareholders, and were a phenomenal success. So if there's there's an example of what we look to that's possible, then it's certainly the Central Asia models is the kind of Mm. disciplined capital return money to shareholder approach that we think is very good. Interesting. So that gives a hint, I suppose, because that's really been an income stock because they almost a uh, victim of their own success with that mine in, in, in Kazakhstan, weren't they? That they, they almost couldn't find a project as, 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 good, as, as good as that and, and potentially dilute their sort of internal r- rates of return if they did so. As you know, Alex, it's the ultimate dilemma for a junior company. You've got all the risk in a single mm. asset company. And so companies often think about acquiring more. But if you've got an asset as good as ours is, you know, the Salamanca project is phenomenal. It's, uh, it will generate 100 to 150 million US dollar free cash flow at sort of moderate uranium prices. Well, Central Asia Metals are the same. Those assets are hard to find. Mm. So if you go and acquire something, often you, um, unless you've unlocked full value into your, into shares at that point, you're often better just sitting there distributing cash back to shareholders by way of dividend. Right. So it's lo- lo- lots to unpack there. I mean, what one being, I mean, just just to touch on what could be next. I don't want to get get ahead of ourselves because you know the mine's the mine's not built yet. You still have a, sort of an exploration portfolio attached to the Salamanca mine. This often seems to be a theme of uh, mining executives often saying that nothing is now priced in in terms of exploration. That, that uh, investors only value production when it comes, and, and and everything else is in for free. What's your exploration program? Looking like currently. Just on the point you made about um, the value, I I slightly disagree. I think there are two types of junior mining companies. The ones that have the ability to grow. So for in our case, we're starting with a sort of 10 to 14 year mine life. But we have a huge ground position with a, a, a quite astonishing 
uh, geological endowment. So we believe that we can start off and maintain at any point in time a 10-year man life. So if we produce four and a half million pounds of uranium in one year, we expect to replace it every year. So we sustain that. And I've been involved with operations that have started with eight years of my life, have been going 50 years later. And that's all to do with geological endowment and putting money back into the ground. Those companies tend to tr- trade higher than an NPV and t- closer to a price earnings ratio, a PE ratio. It's a multiple type evaluation. Companies that have a slightly uh, less obvious um, geological endowment struggle and they're the ones that are constantly complaining saying the market is not rewarding us for for our exploration potential well i think they have to demonstrate the potential is convertible mm-hmm. and start showing converting in so i think the market's quite savvy it, it will say look we can see these measurable cash flows discounted cash flow if you want a higher rating then you have to demonstrate the convertibility of this geological potential. I suppose for mining investors, one of the difficulties with the uranium market in recent years is that on paper, it potentially looks like everything's perfect. The prices are only going to go up. You know, supply is being cut. Projects are being mothballed. But at the same time, you know, prices have been pretty stubbornly at that low $20 a pound mark. Can you just help explain a couple of things for me? I I struggle to understand this. Why would European utilities, or for that matter, Chinese buyers, who are often credited with being a lot more forward-thinking in in their uh, metals buying habits, aren't suddenly locking in lots and lots of contracted supply now when, when prices are really at a floor? Why are they waiting... It, w- it would seem for for prices to rebound before before um, doing deals. Um, two answers to that. One is um, they are trying to lock in. Right. So they the utilities go out for the term contracts on things called RFQs, uh, requests for quotation, and quite often we'll receive one saying, "Please sell us lots of uranium for the next ten years at spot price." And mm. obviously, companies like us say no. So what you're seeing is a tension between the producer and the uh, the market. And it's a sta- like a Mexican standoff. Mm. So there is no term contracting happening at the moment because the miners don't want to sell at these levels and the buyers want to buy at these very low levels. And so what we're seeing is is in the spot market, you'll see more and more volume going through the spot market because there's nothing in the term. And that's what happened last time when the Irani price went for a very, very big run. The utilities ran down their inventories, their coverage... And suddenly one day the spot price started to run, intermediaries got involved, the utilities decided, oh, we better come back into the market, and they did it en masse. They came together. And so the clues to that are, and this is why quite a few funds are getting quite excited at the moment, we have quite a few intermediaries coming in and buying the spot market. We've just had yellow cake, come around London, raise a very large amount of money, 170 million US dollars to buy 8 million pounds of uranium. Next year, they're going to do another $100 million. Next year, after that $100 million. So that's one intermediary. I know of a private buyer who's just bought $50 million US dollars worth of uranium off the spot market. And I've just come – yesterday I was talking to a fund in Australia that's got another $100 million to put into directly into the market. So what these funds are doing, they're front-running the institutions mm. – sorry, front-running the utilities sure. and saying – we know this is an asymmetric bet. We don't know when it's going to change, but we know it is. Mm. So we're going to buy it ahead of you guys. And when you guys buy it, you're going to pay a lot more for it than you do. So we're sitting back looking at this and going, 
that's when we want to be pouring concrete as a miner is when the when the intermediaries are buying the spot and we know these utilities have got something like 700 million pounds worth of uncovered requirements over the next six or seven years we know they've got to come back in the market they'll be coming back into the market where the intermediaries are in there ahead of us so we like that sure, sure, so sure. that standoff the longer it goes on and the expression from the analysts is the longer this standoff goes on the more violent the reaction will be it just it, it just strikes me as so very short-sighted of these utility companies that wouldn't meet you halfway or wouldn't meet suppliers halfway and that there is a Mexican standoff because as you say it's only going to lead to potentially sharper spikes which is not really good for anyone which is why people are positioning themselves so we we um we put quite a big volume of stock through the company of the last month or so and these are to these institutions are saying we can see the same thing that you can see alex and they're saying well we want to have a piece of barclay because barclay is going to you know dramatically benefit from this when it happens mm. just want to turn to the uh, the mine itself now i mean so we, we touched upon equity earlier and and you know just uh, on a on a look at the share price graph it seems to be recovering a bit in the last month but there has been this dip you put out an rns a couple of weeks ago saying that you didn't know of any publicly announced reason why this would be the case that said there does seem to be at least in the in sort of spanish uh, media and and that there is some uh there is some opposition to the, the the project still even though you have got some you know you've got government support can you just bring me out to speed on what the political situation is and how much civic opposition are you facing and also, and I'm, you know, very careful here to not want to mischaracterise actually what the opposition is, but it seems to it seems to be some concern still about, um, you know, radioactivity levels, uh, you know, that the mine is potentially going to raise, uh, and issues over deforestation. Can you just address some of those issues, Paul? Good. I'm really glad you raised that. So certainly, um, we do have quite a lot of opposition, and it falls into two groups. One is the sort of the local residents who have some concerns about any mine being built, and in this case, it's the uranium mine, so the specific concerns. And there's a broader concern, is we are a magnet for all the anti-nuclear groups across Europe. So we're very, very popular. They, um, they follow us, and they make lots of noise, and they generate all these headlines. So just very specifically, we put out announcement the other day there was some headlines on headlines saying that the spanish government the portuguese government were going to paralyze the mine completely not true there's no basis obviously it's just what happens is a, a green politician will bang the table and say the mine must be paralyzed and suddenly this gets parlayed into headlines saying the spanish government's going to close the mine so we put out a very clear statement from both the portuguese uh, side and the spanish side and the castilian government saying absolutely equivocally not the case and that we are um, have the full support within the law and the local government can, can I just ask in terms of the portuguese government why why just can you just briefly explain why the why the need that you know for their involvement because the greens went to them and claimed uh, made so all sorts of claims about we were going to damage uh, the Douro right. river and all sorts of things which runs from runs Spain. From, yeah runs from Douro to Douro runs into portugal i mean the, the, as the minister pointed out to us there's been mining on the board in the iberian peninsula for sort of something like 4000 years and there hasn't been any problem on the more local issue um it's there's been uranium mining in this area for 40 years 
and the stories of radioactive cows and all the rest of it are very, very good headlines, but they have no basis. So we have a, a study underway by the University of Salamanca that's identifying the benefits of mining in the area and the impact it's had on, beneficial impact it's had on the agricultural community, the local community. So it can be properly articulated in a professional and academic manner. But much more specifically, much outweighing all of that by far, by a long way, is the fact that we're in a region that's lost 120,000 people over the last five years. We're talking about villages that have lost 75% of their population. Every year, there's 20 to 21,000 people leaving, mainly young people. And this depopulation is really, it is unquestionably the major issue in the region. So we come along, make an investment which will create 450 direct jobs, 2,500 indirect jobs, and rejuvenating the community. So not just creating the jobs, we're investing in Wi-Fi for the villages, new schools, playgrounds. We're giving priority to businesses, priority training to villages. These are factors that will rejuvenate the community. So, yes, the Greens will jump up and down and say we don't like uranium, we don't like nuclear. And, yes, there'll be all sorts of scare stories about radioactive cows and things. But the real game in town is there's 23,000 people have applied for the first 200 jobs. And that's what everybody's focused on. So I uh, was in Salamanca recently. I presented our business case to 200 people. 200 of the business community came out, packed the Fonseca Cathedral. And they were there all night long, late on into the evening, saying, how can we help you? How can we make this investment happen? Because we need the business. We need the jobs. We need that. That's that. So we're absolutely quite happy to entertain the Greens, entertain any concerns. They will help us make this the best mine in the world. And, and, I, and what I say to people is we're already the higher standard than any other camp mining company in the world. These guys are going to make us even better so that they will be proud spain will be proud of this mine proud of the investment proud of the rejuvenation are proud of the quality of the engineering that goes into it one of the points uh, raised in a, a recent german documentary i think they interviewed a local politician who was who was talking about deforestation you have plans for uh, um, re- replanting it, some of the trees it doesn't there. matter whether you build a primary school or a hospital sure. or even a big building on the south side of the river here for ho- occupy the financial times you have to knock down trees in our case we've knocked down some old oak trees um, which were sort of fairly old and diseased and we're planting for every single tree that we knock down we're planting six young healthy new ones so we're going to plant 30,000 trees. So we are, and we, in fact, we've just created an, um, uh, an arboreal agri- um, uh, center where we're all the different types of species of uh, vegetation we're going to recreate in the area. We, we're already husbanding those. And, and to give you some idea is that there's a sort of perception of mining a bigger dig dig a big hole in the ground, leave a hole. No, no, no. What we're doing is what's continuous mining. We um, open up a small area. We then mine that, process it. We line it. We rehabilitate it continuously so that there's a continuous rehabilitation and the land we leave behind is in a better condition than the land when we started. In my personal experience, I started my career in Telford in Shropshire and we took some old historical coal mining areas and we opened... Uh, pit mine them continuously rehabilitated them and now it's a wonderful golf course shopping center housing estate and you couldn't possibly see in this beautiful shropshire countryside there'd ever been any mining there before we are going to do exactly the same in salamanca it's 2018 populism and industry are sometimes 
that they're not easily matched bedfellows. Say, hypothetically, the new Spanish government, they are, you know, particularly opposed to nuclear energy. The fact that you're building a, a uranium mine, does that give you a better chance than the developer of a, of a nuclear power, power station of being waved through? Just two aspects to that. Germany has finally come out and admitted that energy vendor is an environmental disaster. Um, when they closed nuclear in Germany, it, they now mine in 2010, they now mine more lignite mining today than they did when they, they started energy vendor. And Emmanuel Macron came to power and said he's going to shut down nuclear. He's now done a somersault and said, quote, that if closing nuclear means I have to build more coal-fired power stations, reference to Germany, I'm not going to do it. Spain's exactly the same. Spain is going to meet its 2030 carbon targets because it has seven nuclear power plants providing baseload energy. Baseload, clean baseload energy plus renewables together is the future. That's why we've got 55 nuclear reactors being built around the world today. That's why Imperial College's Grantham Institute keeps saying that 100% renewables is wishful thinking. So we think, despite the populism, despite all the noise, the scientific, the science will outgrow this sort of populist trend that against nuclear. And in fact, the, the Finnish Green Group came out this morning, finally came out and admitted that they accept, that they fight like a lot of other these NGOs in the families, that we need nuclear. It's nuclear and renewables will give us a clean energy f- future. Closing nuclear and building gas-fired power stations, which is half the carbon, is going from zero carbon to adding carbon. So if you're talking about decarbonisation, you need nuclear. So I think the science will prevail. But you're talking about ideology, um, identity politics versus, and I'll put something bigger on the other side of the table, livelihoods. So everybody's very brave and tough when you talk about um, we're going to shut down nuclear, you don't like uranium mining, you don't like those kind of things. Those conversations get different when you go to Salamanca and you look at the empty school that's about to close or you look at the people who've moved away, look at how many young people have left that area and you say, do you know what? There's actually nothing wrong with this world-class mine that's operating the various high standards because it's actually training, it's providing jobs, and it's going to rejuvenate a community. So, yes, lots of noise. The reality? Jobs. Excellent. Just, just to finish as well, Paul, you quite recently bought around 2 million shares in the company. I mean, I, I don't want to go into your, you know, the line-by-line details of your, your own personal financial uh, status, but, I mean, how big are you into the company? Ever since I got involved with the company, I've just bought stock. So when I was first invited to join the company's manager director two and a half, three years ago, I bought as much stock as I could on market. And every opportunity to convert options, I've uh, written out a check. So um, I'm as long as anybody in this story. Right. Excellent. Paul, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Alex. Really enjoyed that. Cheers. And to listen to more audio from the IC, go to our website or search for us on Acast, iTunes, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.